You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Uh, my name is Todd Spath. My wife and I work as ministers in the West Side Church, and we want to welcome you to our service, or we want to say hello to you for our service uh, this morning. Um, it's great to be together. We all miss seeing one another. And I'd love to imagine that I could see you right now. Uh, I wonder what our teens are doing. I wonder what Alonzo and Harrison and Jackson, some of our teen boys are doing. Think about our singles. I want to say hi to the singles. And um, we all love the Golden Albos, which isn't really their name. But you know who I mean when I talk to you. And I'm talking about our Pats and Melody and Asia. Miss Asia, we love you. It's just great to think about our adults. Uh, Kirk, I see you. George, everything's going to be okay. Nathan, get another cup of coffee uh, and pay attention today. And wonderful to have our campus with us. My prayers, our prayers are for all of our students at UCLA and Santa Monica College and Pepperdine and uh, all the other places where we're going to school. And so I just pray that you can sort of clear your mind right now and focus in on the word and give God... Give the Word a chance to really get into your heart. Now's a good time, Sunday morning, to reflect on your week, to think about where you've been, to think about where we're going, and what God is doing in our life today. Because ultimately, this is all about Him. This isn't about COVID. This isn't about the economy. This isn't about our politics. This isn't about China or Russia. This is about God. And so today we're going to look a little bit at jail, Joseph, and Jesus. But I want to set up our thoughts or set up my thoughts with this passage. I love this passage. In Ephesians 1, verse 10, Paul says, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, which He purposed in Christ to bring all things together in heaven and on earth together in Christ. And so God is a unifier When you read that passage, this is a worldview passage. What's God doing? Whose side is God on? Is He on the Republican side? Is He a Republican God? Is He a Democrat God? Is He a UCLA God? Is He a USC God? Is He a Northern Hemisphere God? Is He a Western God? Is He a Southern God? What is our God? Obviously, this passage... In this passage we see, He's a God of everything. Everything begins and ends with Him. This is all about Him and His story. We're still in Genesis 1 story. And His goal at the end is to bring everything together. He's going to bring everything together. Um, Paul says something very similar in Colossians 1. He's going to reconcile everything. It's all going to come together under Christ or together with Christ. And so, if you're first time, if you're young, if you're just sort of starting out with us, um, I'd like you to really think about your world view and how you vision, how you envision um, your relationship with God, your relationship with the world, how the world is supposed to work. This is a great worldview passage. He's he frames everything. If you're younger Christian, you've been at this for a little bit. I want you really thinking about growth. I want you really thinking about uh, humility, uh, finding gr- good people in your life that help you fine-tune your talents and your resources and 
um, get good guidance and direction in your life. You have so much to offer. The Christian message, the Christian, uh, Paul says in Romans 8, right? Uh, earth itself groans, waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God, the sons of man to be revealed. Wow, uh, the earth is hungry for you. Our time, our culture is hungry for you right now. So we pray for great courage to be in you and just planting seed everywhere. And if you've been at this a while, you're an elbow, you're an older, you've got a few generations, a few decades in you, um, never accept being stuck. Your story's never over, right? It's still about God. He's never done with any of us. And even though we're kind of in a pause mode, you're right in the middle of your life. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change how you think. He's always working on our character. Failure, disappointment, Pain? Mm. The older Christians, we love that stuff. It shapes us. It refines us. We have to make friends with it. Those are our best teachers. Success doesn't have a lot to teach the older Christian anymore. I just want you to hold on to that. That's where we're going today, and I think that's what these stories illustrate. And if I can get to my next slide. Ah, good. When I was a kid, this story made a uh, real impression on me. It's a children's story called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. I'm not going to bore you with all the details of the story. The, 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 the illustration sort of gives the whole thing away. Um, the, there's a dragon that's living in the house. And the little boy is taken with the dragon and he could sort of playful with the dragon. And he's always asking his mom what to do about the dragon. And the mom always says, honey, there's no such thing as a dragon. And so you see him, you know, eating at the table and the boy saying, Mom, what do dragons like to eat? Honey, there's no such thing as a dragon. And he's, you know, trying to get ready for bed. Mom, uh, how, what do dragons need for bed? No, honey, there's no such thing as a dragon. And mom's cleaning and the thing just keeps growing. And mom's trying to clean and vacuum and she's picking up the tail. And, and, and again, she's saying, honey, there's no such thing as a dragon. And the dragon gets so big, he engulfs, ends up, he ends up engulfing the whole house. What's the story about? It's largely about denial, the things we refuse to see. The story, the children's story, makes it look cute. But many, if not all of us, have dragons in our homes, dragons in our institutions, dragons in our churches. Things that we deny, we don't say are really there, but they're there. We don't know what to do about them or what to say about them. That's the big problem. And as a Christian... As a Christian person, we always pursue truth. John 8, famously, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Truth, truth, and more truth. When we're in denial, we're stuck. When we're in denial, we're not going to grow. When we're in denial, we're going to be frustrated. You might find a little bit of comfort in denial, but it's never going to really last. The heart of the Christian life is always about love and transformation through redemption. When we're in denial, none of that stuff really works. If we're in denial about an addiction, if we're in denial about sexual sin, we're in denial about greed, we're in denial about um, whatever is going on in our society, culture, we're stuck. We're not going to grow. Truth sets us free. It takes courage. And that brings me to talking a little bit today. Um, and again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm just right in the middle of this as you, as we all are together. The Ahmad Arbery, Arbery story. This is a jaw-dropping, gut-wrenching, 
uh, horrific crime against a man that was simply trying to run in his neighborhood in Georgia. And what does it reveal? That we still have serious race problems in America today. Racism is still a beast and it's still in America. It's in us. We, as a Christian community, we have to do better. Uh, we haven't done a lot because I think we're afraid of political correctness or stepping on toes. JFK, Martin Luther King Jr., they borrow a phrase from Dante's Inferno that the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who during a time of moral crisis refuse to act. And we've got to be asking ourselves, what are we doing about this injustice? What do we say about it? Who do we talk to? Who do we feel that we can't talk to? I think that's equally important. And let's just think about our city. Uh, L.A., a melting pot, a little bit of everybody all around us. And yet we have a history. Our history is littered with racial tension and violence. Of course, we had infamously the Watts riots in the 60s and in the 90s. Um, during the uh, sort, sort of a, a growing anti-Mexican sentiment in the 20s, this was sort of made famous by Zoot Suits and um, the West Side Story. But um, right around this time, there was another plague that broke out. It wasn't the bubonic plague. I think it was the pneumonic plague. Pneumonic. You're going to have to help me with that one later. Somebody can text it to me. It was a plague of these boils, and it was blamed on the Mexican community. And they went into Boyle Heights. Some went into Boyle Heights and just burned the neighborhoods down. Many people lost their lives. It took that community a long time to recover. Um, in, the, in the 1800s, late 1800s, again, infamously, there was a Chinatown riot in which hundreds were killed. Over 20, roughly 20, were lynched because they believed that the uh, Chinese immigrants downtown were taking jobs and uh, diseases. And it's, this, it's the same old story. Uh, and the Chinese immigrants were being blamed for ills during the city. And I thought this was interesting. I just read this uh, the other day. Of course, uh, many of us are familiar with the Japanese internment uh, during the 1940s, 42, I believe. And uh, many students from UCLA, uh, there were students from UCLA that were taken out of UCLA and put in the internment camps. And just now in 2020, I just read this, um, the state of California is going to issue an apology. I don't know about you, it feels like a little late in the game. So we just have to own what's going on in our state and what's going on in our city. And we have to ask ourselves, is this really a Christian response? Is this a Jesus response? Is this what the Bible teaches us? How do we engage with our history? How do we engage with our neighbor? This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, I swore never to be silent whenever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim." Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. 
Whenever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must at that moment become the center of the universe. I want to just hold on to that for a minute. That's the center of a spiritual universe. Which brings me to Joseph's story. If you've been in the church for a while, you're familiar with the story. And I'm going to read from um, Genesis chapter 40. And I'm not going to do the whole thing for time's sake. In 38 and 39, he's working for Potiphar and he's unjustly jailed because he won't sleep with Potiphar's wife. She tells on him, he goes to jail. He's in jail. He's doing pretty good in jail. He's sort of putting along. And in jail, he comes across two other jokers, the baker and the cupbearer. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. It says, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Oh, this is what, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up your head and restore you to your position. He'll put a cup in your hand. It's all good. I'm going to skip on down. When the baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said, hey, yeah, yeah, me too. I had a dream. Uh, uh, three baskets of bread and top basket, all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket of my hand. Oh, I got it. That's easy, Joseph says. I, this is what it means. Uh, the three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat your flesh. Now the third day, uh, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave the feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in his presence, in the presence of his officials. He restored the cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. I know we have people that have been through some things. I know we have people that have some real scar tissue from their past, and I know we have people that are experiencing some some real pain today, right now. And Joseph, God, would be so easy, wouldn't it? It'd be so easy. Why is this happening to me? I can't believe the cupbearer. I do him a favor, I do him a solid, and he just forgets me. Why is this happening? Why becomes the language of victimhood? Why becomes the language in which which we get stuck in pain cycles? Why my history? Why my past? Why yesterday's problems? Why today's problems? And you're never going to get your wise answers. That only happens later. And I think what Joseph shows us and he teaches us or helps us see is you have to accept your pain. Injustice hurts. Loss hurts. Shame hurts. But you have to give up blame. It's right to say, my dad, my mom, my coach, my city, my company, my husband, my wife. It hurts. Yes. But the blame, when we get into why and we get into who, when we get into why and we get into them, oh, we just get into bitter resentment. And we want to blame, blame, blame. And we get stuck in what was me. And we get stuck in that kind of pain. It's not good. God's plan is always bigger than man's game. And you've got to hear uh, 
Pharaoh has a dream. Next chapter, Genesis 41, and whammo, all of a sudden Joseph's out. He's got a great position. He's helped managing and orchestrate uh, uh, a great mo- time of bounty and then famine, and they prosper. They do remarkable. And at the very end of the book, Joseph tells his brothers, they think he's resentful and bitter towards them. He goes, oh, no, no, no. I know, I know you intended harm towards me, but God intended good. God always intends good. He allows us pain, but he always intends good growth. I want to read one more passage. Luke 13. Sorry, typo there. But I like Luke 13. Look over here if you would, or you can just listen in. This is a woman that I think in our scriptures gets overlooked quite a bit. Let's, let's, let's look at her situation. Luke 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, Woman, you are set free of your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not the Sabbath. It's always a nitpicker in the group. It's always a critic. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Just imagine this woman, 18 years, 18 years, bent over and unable to stand up. We try and imagine where she's going to find value in the world or in her life. There's no way she's married. There's no way she has kids. There's probably no way she has a career. She probably simply lives through maybe family means or benevolence. Imagine the loneliness. And she goes to the synagogue over and over and over again. And they probably don't pay a lot of attention to her. She doesn't have a voice. She can't speak. They might think of her as unclean. They might think of her as cursed. We know that of John 9, right? The blind man who sinned, this man or his parents. They probably stay away from her. She probably has very little, if any, significant relationships in her life. She must be in deep emotional pain. And boom, Jesus is there and he sees her. He recognizes her. You know, she's been bound up. And I don't exactly know what's going on, how Satan has worked in her body, but somehow uh, Jesus sees her as being held, bound by Satan. Can you imagine? She stands up. And the crowd must have, obviously was just in awe. They were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. And he touched her. I wonder when the last time somebody touched this woman. Right there in the synagogue. Probably people... Uh, walking by her for all of her life, a nobody, a forgotten, an untouchable. What are these people? But right, center of the universe. What's the center of the universe? An injustice. Somebody that's not seen. Somebody that needs help. Somebody that is in pain. Right, Bonhoeffer. That, wow, that immediately becomes the center of our of the spiritual universe. Who will touch her? What neighbor of yours is bound up? Who in your family 
is bent over? How has Satan got you tied up? Well, we need truth. Don't live in denial. Jesus will free us of these infirmities. Jesus heals. Jesus changes that. He takes away our pain. Transform. Actually, he doesn't remove it. He transforms it. Can you imagine this woman telling stories later? Then I went through this, and I went through that, and then this happened, and that happened. And then I met Jesus, and he touched me. My life's never been the same. Wow, what a remarkable woman. Again, not somebody stuck in why and woe is me, and I'm always going to be stuck. She could just be home. What if she just stayed at home? I quit, I give up. Never is it a time to give up. It's okay to struggle. It's never okay to quit. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to not get help. She has her miracle right here in the middle of when she probably least expected it. Here's a passage or a quote from Tim Keller. God sees us as we are. Loves us as we are. But by His grace, does not leave us as we are. Sees us as we are. Loves us um, as we are. But by His grace, does not leave us where we are. So I just, today is a good day to get rid of your whys and who and your thems. All the bad guys in your story. Get rid of all the bad guys in your story. They only lead to resentment and bitterness. Instead, ask, what is happening to me? What am I going through? And how do I go forward? How can I get better? There, we never exhaust all of our resources. Uh, Jesus, of course, here, uh, God, He'll always make up the rest. Kill why? Kill who? Kill the bad guys uh, in your story. Ask what's happening. Own your pain. Yeah, I'm in some pain. Uh, I don't have work. I have physical pain. I have emotional pain. I'm struggling with some mental health, depression, or anxiety. How do I get better? Let God transform that. You get some scar tissue and you grow from it and walk again and stand up straight. And then you have your, your, your talents uh, to go out and do what God will do with your life. I want to say something else too. Give up grading everything. Seems like it's impossible for us as a people not to grade everything. Everything's a like or a dislike. Yelp reviews, four star, five star. We look at our clothes, good shirt, bad shirt. Hair, good hair, bad hair. Uh, skin, good skin, bad skin. Uh, politician, good guy, bad guy. Uh, grades, you know, again, in schools, you just, we're always grading ourselves. Stop grading! It's hard to be present when you're grading everything. God's going to grade everything at the end. He's a just God and He'll level everything out. And we know what happens at the end is He makes everything new. You get new bodies. We look forward to that. Amen. And, and the earth is remade and He remakes heaven. Everything's made new. So we don't, our grading really is irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. Hey, amen to that. And trust that everything in you and your story is redeemable. Everything in you and your story is redeemable. As a younger person, uh, I had so much shame and guilt in my life over a lot of sin that I'd been in and family sin. We had a lot of addiction, a lot of alcoholism. I think a lot of you have heard my story. You know my story. And I couldn't talk to people about addiction in the home. I couldn't talk to people about my own anger and my own resentment. I had no language for it. And a lot of that just turned into a lot of bitterness and inner rage. And I just became super self-destructive. It's cutting myself. It's trying to kill myself. Um, kind of on a death wish. God just saved me. Just absolutely rescued me. I still have a lot of scars from those days. And then I became a Christian. I was so excited to become a Christian, but I was so embarrassed to tell my story. How do you just talk to people about wanting to kill yourself? That's, that's kind of a party killer. 
It's hard to get into, you know, cutting. How do you talk about that? There's no way to talk about that. It's shameful. And, you know, as you mature again as a Christian, you start, you start owning your pain. You start blaming everybody. How do I use my story? How do I become better? And after some time in the ministry, again, as you guys, some that are familiar with Tanya and I, I went back to school to become a licensed therapist. And um, I'm an MFT today. And I just want to say, you know, almost 30 years of ministry has been transformative for me. Uh, I've had such great experience being in the ministry. I've learned so much. Uh, I've enjoyed so many rich relationships, so many great memories. But be praying for us. Um, we're looking to to go into a change of career. And I started this process in January. Man, it was great. I got all kinds of interviews and everybody was responding back. Then COVID hit and it just dried up. I mean, the well was empty. And I started to panic. I started feeling you know, anxious and what's going to happen and um, why is this happening now? It's hard not to go there. And you just have to talk to yourself and get back into the Word and get back into your story and get back into God's story. I'm still in Genesis 1-2. And just a couple of weeks ago, all the responses started coming back and got set up for some interviews. And I just thank you for your prayers. I know many of you have been praying for us. I was offered a couple of jobs last week and still have a couple more interviews to go through this week. And uh, it's exciting because God's always got something for us next. He's never done with us. Uh, I, you always have some identity in doing something for a long time, but um, identity is just about the role. And you're always more than your role. And discovery and learning, oh, so much growth in that. So I feel really blessed and um, trust that God and our leadership is taking care of the church and taking care of us. Tanya's got a great opportunity in real estate right now. And so we don't know exact our exact timelines, but um, again, just be praying because we're excited that God is bringing us, has brought us to a crossroads and um He's opening some really exciting doors for us. And so a guy that didn't want to be alive and was super self-destructive, God has found a way to heal a lot of wounds and to make whole again and to be able to help other people. Other people and other people's stories are still the most interesting thing in the world. Let God use you. Let him transform you. You don't get to control what doors he's going to open. But when he opens them, you want the courage and the faith to go through them. He heals those wounds and he opens up these doors. So um, I just want to thank you guys again for all of your love and support. And I want us thinking about, again, this time, what God is doing. And we need to be thinking about um, how we be healthy and how we take care of each other. Again, greatest commandments, love God and love our neighbor so we can transform our city. It needs a lot of help. God bless you, and God bless the church. Thank you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.